0: Good morning, so good to worship God with you, and uh, I had not had the chance to meet you yet. Uh, My name is Jason Durant, and I'm blessed to be the lead pastor here of Dublin Bible Church. And so, uh, man, would love to meet you if I hadn't had the chance to do that yet, but I always want to introduce myself so you're not wondering who the weird sweaty guy up front is, right? That's me. Uh, I'm Jason. Real quick uh, family moment that I want to make sure uh, you as a church get to be aware of. One day this past week, I believe it was Wednesday, uh, I had the opportunity to wake up earlier than I normally might and wake my kids up much earlier than they normally might. And we uh, drove out to East Lawrence Elementary School and we were able there Uh, to take them a bunch a bunch of biscuits right so that's all those biscuits on the table that's all that was left after that whole crowd of people and some others behind us came but we were able to go there and take some biscuits and some waters and just to encourage the teachers and the staff there and let them know man we know that you guys serve and we know that a lot of times servants are really admired in some settings and then forgotten in others you're not forgotten and we love you we're for you we want you to know that that we think you emulate Christ in the way that you lead by serving and so Man, it was an awesome opportunity to go and do that, but I'm not, I'm not saying that to put me on the screen. I actually didn't want to be in this picture. I offered to take it, and they wouldn't let me. Um, but, but to say to you that you as a church, when you give through Dublin Bible Church, you're giving to efforts to reach other people, encourage one more person, right, to uplift our community. We want to be about that, and so I want you to know that you're making a difference when you give right? And hopefully next time somebody will be able to go with me. I didn't really plan that really well, so next time there'll be more of you in some of these pictures, but I want you to know that as a church, we want to be about serving our community, and you've done that wonderfully through giving and supporting outreach opportunities like this, so thank you so much for that, all right? Uh, If you want to turn in your Bible today, if you have a copy with you, if you pull it up on your device, uh, we're going to be in John John specifically in chapter 15, so you can just look at the the front of your Bible, probably has a table of contents, that's the easiest way for me, and you can find John, we'll be there in just a moment. As you're turning, I'll tell you that I have kind of always been uh, intrigued, fascinated a little bit with kind of the business world. Right, and, and the strategies that, that businesses use to compete in their marketplace and uh, the leadership culture in the business world that's kind of always been a thing for me for whatever reason. I have a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug about me. Uh, my wife tries to squash it often because I come up with a new thing to do every day and she goes, Not that one, not that one, right? But, but I have that about me. I have a, a bachelor's in, in business marketing, and so I just think that way. One of the stories that I found most intriguing. Uh, that that's always stuck with me and I remember is about a company that some of you know of dearly called Starbucks, right? Now, some of you are Starbucks drinkers. Some of you right now are feeling tension in the room because you're going, wait a minute, there's some other coffee, right? And if you don't know, uh, our worship pastor here, AJ, has a little coffee thing going. And uh, if you're a Reverb coffee person, you know that Starbucks basically tastes like pond water, basically, right? <laughs> right? It, it, it can't compete with the good stuff, right? So we all know that, okay? We'll just walk into that knowing that and sharing that knowledge, right? But Starbucks uh, kind of intrigued me when I heard that many years ago, back in 2008, They actually shut down every single one, as I understood it, of their 7,000-plus locations for several, several hours, right? Some of them more than half the day, I believe. And they shut it down for a specific reason because they were going to train all of their employees on central functions. You know what central functions were? How to make good coffee, right? The, the, the higher level leadership had grown concerned, and as they were walking into some of their locations, right, maybe sometimes they were going for a known visit and some leadership planning, but other times they were just kind of drifting into a shop, and what they were realizing was is that over the years, Starbucks had added kind of this cool vibe and this artsy feel in their place, and that was awesome. Starbucks had added kind of breakfast sandwiches, and, and I had one a couple days ago, and I promise you it was good, all right? They've added scones and, and cake pops, and they've added all this stuff, and it's all great stuff and it's all fine for them to offer and people like it all but what they'd noticed was that as they added all this other stuff the one thing that they saw kind of going downhill in quality was the coffee and they're a coffee company right and so they closed their doors every single location closed for hours it was estimated that it cost them in income more than six million dollars right? That's a hard leadership day right there. That's a hard decision, right? We need to train them. Let's close. How much? Six million? Let's just make the bad coffee is what I would be thinking, right? They closed it down for hours to teach them not about how to do the, the extras and the intricate details of things like scones and cake pops, right? About how to write the name on the cup with a cute little message or a heart over the eye instead of a dot. They didn't train them on any of that special extra. They, they trained them on the central core functionality of who they are, right? And I believe it's because they understand that if you drift in your core functionality, everything is then at risk. <laughs> if you're a coffee company and your coffee is not very good anymore, then everything else you're trying to do, every single bit of that is susceptible to loss, and it's all potentially failing, going downhill. Now, the last few weeks, and for the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, right? we've been in a Bible study series that we're calling the same page, and the aim here is this, is that we would kind of refocus our minds, refocus our hearts on the, the central core facets of the message of Christianity, the mission of Christianity. What are we to be about? Today we want to talk about love because love kind of is the central functionality of being a follower of Jesus. Right When Jesus was asked himself, right, tell us the most important commandment, what he said is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor also. When he's asked what's most important, he says, love God and love people. It's at the core of everything that we're doing. We've talked about hope a couple of weeks ago. If hope is the outlook or the attitude of expectation of good from God. We talked about faith last week. Faith is when we put our feet in line with our hope and it starts taking action. We start walking toward the things that we're trusting God for. And I believe love is the fuel for our journey. Love is the thing that should carry us where we go. It seems maybe even a little silly to you. It felt a little silly to me. I had to pray through it with God that we would even talk about something so universally discussed and supposedly so universally understood as love. How would we talk about love? We kind of all know what love is. And and I think that's true. I think that we do. But also maybe our understandings are a little more blurred than we think at times. Think back, if you can remember, to, to the first time that someone told you that they loved you. Maybe it was a parent. Right? maybe it was a, a coach, or a teacher. For some of us, right, think back to that awkward moment that the first time that, that boy or that girl told you that they loved you, right? Which by the way, I, I think happens way too soon. I thought about my first time to say that girl, I was like, I think I knew her for like two days, right? Like like somebody ever says that to my daughter on day three, he's getting an elbow in the face in the name of Jesus, right? Like that's what's <laughs> gonna happen, right? <laughs> right? We we say it, we throw it out there. Think back to when you first had someone say that to you and think about how that felt. What did you think that they meant when they were saying that to you? Our culture understands love wrongly in so many different ways. Sometimes it thinks that love is all emotional. It's all about a feeling, and when the feeling isn't there, the love is no longer there. Tina Turner, I believe it was, sung it back in the 80s, right? What's love got to do with it? Whoa, whoa, what's love? Right? She sang it better than I did. <laughs> right? But then she said, it's a secondhand emotion. Right? White Snake, you didn't expect to hear about them today. They said, is this love that I'm feeling? Right? They said, love is a feeling, is that what's happening here? They think it's all about emotion, it's all about a feeling. Sometimes we think of love as only the, the physical contact and the physical interaction. Right? There was an artist back in the 60s who became popular with a song that, that went high on the charts. And it said, how will you know if he loves you? Right? You guys remember this song? Is it in his face? Is it his warm embrace? Is it in his... It asked all these questions. The answer was no to all these things. The answer was, it's in his kiss. Right? It's in his kiss. That's where it is. Right? That's what they said. Right? It's, it's in his kiss. Right? That's how you'll know if he loves you. It's in that physical kiss. If there's a spark there, then he loves you. If there's not, there's not. By the way, the name of that song is not in his kiss. The name of that song, surprised to me this week, is the Shoop Shoop song. All right? So this week, cue up the Shoop Shoop song if you want to hear that. Right? It's, it's emotional, it's, it's physical, right? Sometimes we think of love as being only a role in which we give, right? All we do is give. We just provide and give. We work hard just to give over and over again. If you've ever parented a toddler, you have maybe have had the experience where you didn't give what they were expecting you to give. You didn't give what you normally give. You didn't give what they wanted you to give, and maybe they said, you don't love me. Or maybe they said, I don't love you, <laughs> right? Right? It's tough tough situation is because you're expecting if you love me you give to me what I think I need you give to me what I want for many of us love when we think about it can can really be more about training or teaching you maybe had this with a coach who was tough he was a great coach he could teach you everything you need to know about the game she she was there to teach the principles she knew exactly how to train you with the drills to do the thing but it was all about training and they, they really didn't seem to like you very much right they, they can make you into a good player, but you didn't really care to be around them because they weren't a fan of you as a person. Viewed it as training, as, as education. There's so many different ways that we can think about love, and none of those things in and of themselves is wrong. Love is not less than any of those ideas, but love is more than any one of those individual ideas. Today we're going to hear about love from Jesus. We're going to actually hear directly from his mouth the one who's better at doing love than anybody ever has been or ever will be, the one who defines love with his very life. We get to hear from him on what it means as we as followers of Jesus think about the love of God and what it means for us to love him and what it means for us to love others. Maybe you're here today and you're you're not sold on the idea of Jesus' love for your life. You've heard the story maybe a million times that Jesus loves you, but, but for some reason that has not moved you internally. Well, man, I would offer to you that maybe today is a chance to reconsider what Jesus defines as love, not how we think of his love, but what he says. And maybe that would be something that would be worth considering. As a church together, if we're going to be this bright, shining LED spotlight of the love of Christ to the city around us, we're going to need to know pretty clearly what it is Jesus is talking about. When he talks about love. So we're going to read in John chapter 15. John, I would argue, was maybe the best friend of Jesus during his earthly ministry. There's some reasons behind that. But they were buddies. They were friends. And John is writing this account of Jesus' life years after Jesus has ascended back and gone to heaven. His life is still being lived out differently because of having met Jesus. And so he writes down this account for us. It's one of four gospel accounts in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what that means is that he writes down the facts about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He writes down the facts about the gospel in hopes that others would trust the heart of the gospel, that they would put their hope in Jesus alone just as he has and have Jesus define their life just as he has. And he's writing and telling us about the ministry of Jesus. And in chapter 15, that ministry is drawing to a close. Jesus is in the upper room with his uh, 12 uh, disciples at first. And then, then eventually he's just with the 11 as one of them is left. He's there with them in, in what we call sometimes the farewell discourse. This is Jesus' kind of last huddle, his last moment, his last talk with his guides. He's going to see them again after resurrection and give them a few blurbs here and there, but this is his last chance to talk with them in a really big way before they experience some really big life-altering events, before they see him die on a cross. And they can't understand what's taking place in their lives. This is that moment. What a huge moment it is. And we get to take a view of that moment. John chapter 15, we'll start reading in verse 12. It says this, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus said a lot there just in three verses. Let's see if we can maybe break it down just a little bit. First, he says, this is my commandment. When we think about love, we may not think about love being something that's commanded of us, but But love is not something that comes into our lives with a clause. There's no, if it's convenient for you, then love them really well. If you have time in your schedule, make sure that you make a point of loving that individual. There's no, if she hasn't hurt you too much, then be sure to love her. It it doesn't say, hey, if he doesn't get on your nerves too badly, then be sure to love each other. Jesus says, no, this is a commandment. This is a mandate that I'm giving to you. And, and the Bible has talked about love more than 650 times already, right, at this point. right? But Jesus is saying, you, you've heard about it, you know about it, but I'm commanding you to do this thing. He's actually already told him this commandment a couple of chapters ago in this same setting, this same moment. John chapter 13, he says, I, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another. <laughs> How could it be a new commandment if it's been talked about so much? What is Jesus doing when he's sitting with these guys that he has taught about what it means to love in a godly way for three years day in day out and now he's saying hey listen i want you to love each other it's, it's a new commandment how is it new it's an old commandment in the sense that they've heard about it forever it's a new commandment in the sense that they have now seen it pointedly clearly in the life of jesus they have seen love in pinnacle fashion we we're talking this morning and and I actually already thought about this, and somehow it came up, so I thought it might be a nudge from God. There was, a, there was a guy who sang country music in the 90s named Clint Black. I had his greatest hit CD, right? I'm not a big country guy. Come up to me after service talking about country. Probably don't know. There's a few people, right, that I was into. Clint Black had a song on his greatest hit CD called Desperado, right? Whew. Man, when Clint, if I was just in a, in a sad, somber mood as a teenager, and Clint said, Desperado, I was like, he gets me, right? Like, he understands He was saying, Desperado, come to your senses. Come down off those fences. He's calling the loner home, right? And then I heard at some point I was talking about that song or probably singing it in my my best country western accent you just heard. Somebody said, you know that's a remake. I said, what? You know that's a remake. Like, he didn't write that. He didn't come up with that song. That was already a song long before. Clint. Like, Clint Black was probably in diapers when Desperado was being sung. And I went back and listened to it. The, The earliest version I found was The Eagles, right? And I heard that some of y'all are getting mad at me already. Y'all are like, yes, it's the Eagles, right? People pulling off their jacket, got on their Eagles t-shirt. You came somehow supernaturally prepared, right? But anyway, right? Right? But, but, but when I heard that one, it was like, okay, that's the same song, and that's good, right? It's all right. I like it. But nothing... Does Desperado like Clint Black, and some of you are not believing it because you need to go listen to it this afternoon, right? It's done best by Clint, and I'm here to say this to you. Jesus is saying, listen, I've taught you about love, and you've seen love, and you've heard it all through the stories of your heritage in the Old Testament. But what I'm saying to you is I want you to love, and I want you to love the way that I have loved. There is a new way. There's a more defined way. There's a clear way. And as I have loved you, I'm now commanding you to love others. How would we do that, Jesus? He makes it clear for us. He says, as I have loved you, Jesus came to these that would be his apostles, and and he brought dignity and honor to their lives. He brought purpose to their lives. All from different backgrounds, he came to them and said, follow me. And there was something about Jesus. And there was something about the opportunity to walk with Jesus that brought all new meaning to their lives. And they said yes. And they followed. And they saw day after day as he was patient with their naivete and with their ignorance. They saw him teach well even when it would have been easy to just snap on them and walk away. They've seen him love every day, but not just what he has done. Jesus points even further in the next verse to what he's going to do, and he says, listen, I have loved you, but understand this, greater love has no one than this, that you would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is pointing forward and saying, you're fixing to see it. <laughs> you're fixing to see what love looks like. If you're wondering if love is a feeling or an emotion or a thought or an action, look at the cross. It can show you what love is. He would go soon thereafter and die on the cross willingly with the ability to call down legions of angels, we're told. He could have squashed the whole thing in a moment. The Bible tells us he went with joy set before him. There was joy in front of Jesus as he walked towards the cross. The same cross that he cried about in great distress so that blood vessels would would burst in his forehead and blood would trickle down because he was so stressed as he's crying out to God about this cross and is this the only way? And yet, even though that is true, it's also true that he went towards that cross with joy to set captives to sin like you and like me free. There's no greater picture of love. He says, listen, as I have loved you, and as you're going to see me love you at the cross, that is how I want you to go and love people. It's Jesus' life, and even maybe particularly his death, that, that has led to some defining love in the way that I'll give you. I just want you to know this is not me. I'm stealing this from a pastor friend. I hope, like, 100%. Right? He says that love is the radical commitment to the advancement and well-being of another love is the radical commitment to the advancement and well-being of another it's not i love when i can it's not i carve out a little time to love you it is a radical ongoing i am in the answer is yes i am committed but not just to what makes you happy Not just to what's easiest for me to give you, I'm radically committed to your advancement in life, to you flourishing, to your advancement, to your well-being. That means sometimes I give you hard truth because it's good for you. That means sometimes I'm a a shoulder there for you to cry on and I receive you even though I know in in my perfect thoughts above your thoughts that what you're thinking is not even accurate. But I can still love you and be patient with you and kind with you. Love is the radical commitment to the advancement and well-being of another is that how we think about love. Love is not just being present forever. <laughs> right. Some of you, unfortunately, have had the experience maybe of the physically present but emotionally absent spouse or sibling or parent. Jesus is saying, I'm not just there with you. I'm not just present. I'm not just there with you physically. I'm not just there with you in my spirit, but I'm also there with you in my heart. I'm there. I care. I care. I'm with you. I'm radically committed to your advancement, to your well-being. What would it look like, Dublin Bible Church, if we set our hearts to say, I don't I don't know all the answers to the questions from Scripture? I don't know them all. I don't have it all memorized. I never do it all right. Even the stuff I do know, I don't do right all the time. But no matter what, I set my heart, we together set our hearts on displaying this type of love. To the people around us, what might God do in and through us? Can you imagine what it would be like to have those kind of people around you? What if you could be those kind of people to the people around you? See that Christ-like love is always responsive to the love of Christ. Christ. That if we're going to love in the way that Jesus does, if we're really going to honor him with our love, it's something that we're doing as we see how he has loved us. It's always in response to him. It's not as a request to him to please notice us and love us more. He already loves you as much as he's ever going to. You're serving and loving others. You're serving in a ministry of the church. You're reaching out to others and trying to tell them about Jesus. That's not so that Jesus will go, now I love you with that extra kind of special love. Our love is never a request for the love of God. Our love is always in response to the love that God has already given us. Jesus says, listen, if you want to know how you can tell if you're one of those that has accepted my love, you're one of those that's a friend of mine. He says, you're my friends if you obey what I've commanded you. It's really easy for us to hear that and and think that Jesus is laying down a gauntlet for us to achieve so that we can be his friends if I love other people or if I love other people well enough, then I get to be considered a friend of Jesus. It's not what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is given more of a litmus test to go, hey, look at your life, and if your life looks like this, then you're one of those. Are you one of those who's living that? Because if so, it, it all flows from knowing that Jesus, who is perfectly righteous and holy and who has stepped down to die for those who are sinful and rebellious. When you've seen that, it moves you. When I think about love as a radical commitment to the advancement of well-being of another, I think of several guys in my life. Uh, there's an old quote out there that says, and it's, it's been butchered in seven different directions, but it basically says if you've had one, one true friend in life, you've been most blessed. Well, if that's true, I've been most blessed, most blessed like five times, right? Think of a handful of guys that I've really been close friends with, have really known my heart, weep together in prayer before God, struggle together, challenge each other, one of those guys, his name is George. When I met George, I was a youth pastor at his church, but I didn't get to really know George until I was in a community group with him and his wife and several other couples. We couldn't be any more different in a lot of ways. <laughs> George's country, I was raised closer to, to the city, right? He he likes country music, and, and he would be offended if you considered Clint Black country music. He likes the good old, he knows about original Hank, okay? That's where he's at. He's living over there with Merle and the boys, okay? Right? Like He likes country music, right? I grew up doing rap, right? That was, my, that was my jam. That's the beat of my heart. It has some bass to it, right? right? He likes NASCAR. I like the NBA. He, he likes things differently than I do. He's about things that are different than me. But here's what happened. When we committed to putting ourselves in the same room and saying, I want to know Jesus more with you. I want us to figure out walking with Jesus more together. He became one of the best friends I've ever had in my entire life. when Jamie and I were struggling for several years to have the child that we had dreamed of. And they were in our small group and we shared that with them and they would pray with us. Man, I just remember one day he and I riding in his truck and, and he started to talk about it and how he was praying for me and how it broke his heart for me and for us. And he started to cry and say, man, I just don't know anybody that would be a better dad and I don't understand why God. He was carrying some of my pain for me. He's the guy that that showed up in my driveway when I called and told him that we were expecting. And he showed up and his eyes were puffy, though he didn't like anybody to know that he might have been emotional. I knew he had been, he had been upset in gratitude to God, right? Man, and we hugged so big out there in Hayden, Alabama, where you just don't hug other men out in public and just grip up hard and tight. We just did. We didn't care what anybody thought about none of our tough stuff, right? He's the guy that showed up several weeks later when we found out that we weren't going to get to meet that child and his face was red again, and he cried, and we hugged again. He's the guy who celebrated all of our children. They all have nicknames from Georgia they probably don't really appreciate. (laughs) He's the guy that spent hours with me fixing things on my car so I didn't have to pay the shop to fix it. He's the guy that would pray with me about things that I wouldn't even feel comfortable sharing with other people. He's the guy that would call me in the middle of the night and say, Hey, I'm going to need you to come get me. My trope broke down on the interstate. is he perfect no could he always be there to do any and everything i would have wanted him to do i'm sure he he, you know he went on vacation sometimes right (laughs) didn't mean he was not my jesus he didn't fulfill every single one of my needs but you know what i know for sure he's absolutely radically committed to whatever he believed was god's best for my life (laughs) what would it look like for us to be those people For each other in this room, but there are people who don't have any of those kind of people in their life that are just right around here right now. Walmart's open. There's people over there. Your workplace you're going to go to tomorrow, there's people there. Your school that you're fixing to start going back to because you're excited, right? There's people there. What would it look like for us to be those kind of people? Jesus says, you will love others in the way that I'm calling you to love others because you've known my love and you've been my friends. He carries this friend idea further. So we jump back, verse 15. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you couple of things that we see here. Jesus is saying to them, hey, listen, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You didn't come hunt me down and ask to be my disciple. I came in your direction. Some of you may be aware of this. Some of you may not, but man, people, good Christian folks that love Jesus a lot have been arguing for hundreds of years about how the whole thing works of God saving us and and him initiating and starting salvation with us. Let me just really quickly, right, we're not going to settle that argument today, and I don't think it's very worthwhile for us to try, but the Bible really clearly says that people have a genuine human responsibility to respond to God, to make a a genuine decision to follow Jesus Christ with our lives. We're called to urge people to repent, right, and come to that point and make that decision. The Bible also says that none of that happens outside of the absolute sovereign control of God. The Bible says that even the dice that falls in our lap falls on the number that God has, has sovereignly said it will land on. I think if dice landing in our laps is determined by God, then the God also has a sovereign hand on salvation of souls. Listen, and if you're wondering, like, hey, we just got to make sure those two things overlap just perfectly and all the minutia of that, if that's you, I love you, and we can do coffee. And I didn't say lunch because I'm not going to talk about it that long, right? We can do coffee. Right, Because we're not gaining any traction for the love of God to make its way into others' lives. If we're arguing about minutia that the Bible may not make clear to begin with, the reality is that God loves people, and he has come toward us. <laughs> we had never thought the name Jesus, known the name Jesus. We had never even been born to consider our hopelessness and what this whole world is about, and he had already come toward us in salvation. Romans says that God demonstrated his love While we were yet sinners. Make sure we get this, that yes, we have a responsibility and we should preach the gospel to people and bring them to that point and ask them to come to that point. But it's only God who can bring their hearts. And salvation is a work of his grace. He's really clear about that. Jesus says, I came and I chose you. right?" And there's so much comfort and security to be found in that because listen, you can't ruin a relationship that you never secured in the first place. You can't get Jesus to be so impatient with you that he walks away and leaves when he's so committed that he's already given his life to say how he feels about it. Right? So he says, Listen, I chose you. I came to you. He also says, This, you're my friends. And here's a way you can know you're my friends. Right? When somebody is just a servant. They don't get to know, really, the master plan. They don't get to know about the the master. They just kind of do what they're told. They get a to-do list, and they check the box, and they go and do it. So that's not the case with you. I have let you know me. I've let you know everything that I've seen from the Father. I've shared with you. I've taught you. you got a real behind-the-curtain look into my life, into me. you got to know me, not just some principles. If we're to love the way that Jesus loves, we'll initiate with other people. And we'll share our true selves with them. <laughs> we won't wait on the church to organize a program that sets us up just right so that everybody can be perfectly comfortable to meet other people. Now, I, I hope the church can certainly facilitate us being outreachers. right? But we won't be waiting as if the mission of Jesus depends on some kind of plan on a calendar. We'll be waiting, we'll be initiating, we'll be going towards instead of stepping away from people who are different from us. It's hard for me. The Lord has done much in my life, but I'm promising you under the veneer, like a lot of times I have the social skills of a donut, zero, right? I just don't have them. But so oftentimes I sense the Lord just prompting me and drawing me like, go, go talk, go love that guy. Can you imagine how hard it is To be the one person that nobody really knows when you walk through the doors of a church, this one or any other? Do you think it's more awkward for you to go and love on somebody or for the person who showed up for the first time ever? And that's not just true at church. It's true in many environments around you. If you just pay attention to look for the unnoticed, to look for the ones who maybe aren't staying as much, look for people, notice them, initiate with them, and you'll be on the road to loving like Jesus. And share with them your true selves. Let them in. Let them in. I'm not saying that you meet somebody for the first time and go, hey, let's go to lunch and y'all seeming to hit it off and so you give them your social security number and all your bank account information. I'm not saying you let them, right? There's a difference between foolishness and love, right? But I'm saying that even in your introductory impressions with people, you can be the real you and not a you that you feel like you have to present. (laughs) We will love like Jesus when we are a people who Seek the spirits prompting in our lives to initiate with others. And have the courage that only that spirit of God in us could provide to be our true selves with others. We will love like Jesus if we do this. Jesus is going to close it out by kind of enveloping the message. He's going to come back around at the end of these verses. Verse 17, he says, These things I command you. He said, I didn't just save you for no reason. I didn't just save you so you could be counted on the list of mine. He just said in verse 16, I I want you to bear fruit. I want your life to be productive for the sake of my kingdom. But he says in verse 17, these things I command to you, though. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you that you need to accomplish things. You need to be productive for my namesake. These things I command you. Why? So that you will love one another. Listen, productivity. Without love is emptiness. We can be as productive and we could, man, see thousands of people show up for church and we can sing louder than we've ever sung in our lives and we can give money to everything. Productivity without love is emptiness. And ultimately, it does more harm than it does good. I have a friend, some of you may know him. His name's Shane. All right? Let's imagine my buddy Shane has a wife, and let's just guess that her name's Ashley. Right? <laughs> it's Ashley's birthday coming up, right? So this is just all imaginary. I have no idea if this really happened with well, Shane. I'll call him sometime when I get a chance to be around him I'll ask him, right? But let's just say that, that Ashley has a birthday coming up. I hadn't asked, but I'm just going to say it's 29 because it usually is when you ask somebody. Right? That's, right. Birthday's coming up, and so Shane says, well, all right, I- I'm planning I'm going to get a babysitter. He gets a sitter for like three days right, kid-free weekend. Goes out to a wonderful dinner, spends more money than any person should ever humanly spend on food. Goes out to a hotel, right, we get we to spend a weekend away, right, maybe it's at the beach, the suds and the sands kicking up, right, all this awesome stuff is going on to celebrate this birthday. And then imagine that my buddy Shane's wife, Ashley, looks at him and says, you are so sweet, thank you so much for doing this for me. And imagine if Shane looked back at her and said, Well, I mean, I I knew you'd be mad if I didn't. I knew I had to. (laughs) Is that the answer, ladies? (laughs) Is that the answer? Is that just a little blip on the radar that you work your way through and still have a great weekend? Or is that like, go pack the car, we're going home now, right? Right. Everything that you thought was flowing from love actually didn't flow from love. It flew from obligation. It came from I have to, right? That's not love at all. You can be very productive, and there still be a great void of love. On the flip side of that coin is that even the smallest thing done from a true intention of love can be so meaningful. You know this. On my office back there, sitting on my desk, is a little uh, white sheet of paper folded in half with a little note on it. It just says, you're doing great. You're awesome. And it has a heart, which I now know means love. It, I don't know why we can't write the word love. We do a heart, but whatever, right? You're doing awesome. You're doing a great job. Love short stack. When I met my wife, Jamie, she was so short compared to me, I thought that I always called her short stack. So it's kind of our little nickname thing. I just walked in one day, right, to my my office at a new job, which has been a wonderful job, but also, you know, any new job has its stresses and you're going, man, am I going to be. Right. I walk into my new job and there on my desk, my wife had broken into my office illegally without asking during women's Bible study. no, she, she had worked her way into my office and she had found a sheet of paper and she had found a Sharpie. I don't know where it came from because I don't even have one in my desk drawer, so I don't know, right? But she, she wrote this note to me and she propped it up against my computer monitor. It's been there for probably three weeks now. And I go in and I sit down and that's one of the first things I see every day when I turn to look at my computer and look at, man, God, what do you want me to accomplish today? I see my wife saying, I love you and I'm proud of you and you're doing great. It didn't take six hours. didn't take a lot of planning. didn't cost anything but it was a purposeful heart of love. To take a feeling maybe, but definitely an intention and turn that into an action that communicates, I am radically committed to you. What does it look like for us to return that kind of love to God? We'll never love others the way that we could until we appreciate the love of God and return his love to him. Does God get that kind of love from you where you go, God, I'm I'm radically committed to your name. God, I'm in. My answer is yes, no matter what you're asking for, because I'm radically committed to you, God. What does it look like for us to be radically committed to each other? And I just want to commend you as a church. I think in grand measure, man, you're doing it. You love each other so well. What does it look like for us to continue and even grow further in that type of love? What does it look like for us to love the people who aren't here yet, the people who aren't part of not just this faith family, but who aren't part of our capital C church Christian family because they don't hope in Jesus yet? What does it look like for us to love them with that kind of love? Today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship of faith in Jesus that connects you to God and you're in relationship with God, you talk to him, he moves your heart. There are times when, you, when it feels like you don't know where he is. At least that's my Christian experience. But at the end of the day, you're seeking him out in his word. He's moving you. He leads you. He's the Lord of your life. If you don't know Jesus in that way, Please hear me say that he is so radically committed to the advancement and well-being of those who are his that he willingly, with joy set before him, gave his life on the cross. He lived for you perfectly, righteously, every day for 33 plus years. He died for you in pain and agony. He lives again for you now. And if you want to know him, or if you even just want to know more about that, what that looks like, come find me when we're done. Find somebody else. There's a little connection card somewhere near you. Write a little blurb on there and give us your number. I'll get in touch with you, Lord willing, as soon as possible. We're not here to push an agenda. We're here to introduce Jesus. If you don't know him, we would love nothing more than for that to be true for you. Followers of Jesus. Don't walk out today with your head hung low thinking, I don't love well enough. Walk out today with your head lifted high and your heart swollen out with awe at how much this Jesus loves you. And let that propel us to show radically committed love to others. Where might God be prompting you to that? Even as we've talked today, even in this moment. Let's pray. God. I pray that you would keep it straight in our minds Jesus and and please God start with me that we are not the heroes we are not the rescuers we are not it doesn't all hinge on our effort please help us to keep that straight please help us to go after having beheld you and seen you so that we remember how to love please help us to go fueled by how much you love us But God, I pray that you would not let us loose until we go into the world to show your love. Prompt us now, God. Remind us now, the person that we know, the family member, the friend we hadn't talked to in a long time. The person that we'll bump into at lunch. Whoever, God, I pray that you would prompt us, that you would lead us, and that we would be people who love like you love. God, I don't want to just say that because it's a neat Christian cliche. I'm asking you to actively move in our hearts such that we won't be happy unless we are loving others on purpose. And God, I pray that as that happens, we would see much accomplished for the glory of your name alone. Lead us in what that looks like. We ask it all for the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen.